Hello, welcome to The Crap and the Crazy. I am Tash Critter, the director of Little Wooden Toy Box. I have two kids with autism, one with ADHD and PDA. I have racked up about 700 hours over the last 10, 11 years with early intervention, with speechy sites, with teeth, the works. I forgot to add in there that I am a qualified teacher from kindy to year seven. So all of this combined has given me a ton of tools and strategies to use at home with my kids to make sure life is calm and happy, but also to understand and read uh, different behaviors, particularly behaviors that challenge and understand that all behaviors are communication and how to implement tools and strategies at home to get the best life for you and for your kids and to cope well together with your differences. I hope this helps. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 29. Today we are talking about sensory and emotional regulation and tools and strategies to calm down. So by calm down, we don't mean we don't mean it as a demeaning sort of phrase. You know when someone is escalating, they're getting angry and we tell them to calm down, it never ends well, yeah? So by calm down, just for lack of a better word, um, to return to a state of being well regulated. Now, last week we covered tools and strategies to get going. So when you're often really sluggish in the morning, particularly after a bad sleep and it's really hard to get going or that lag after lunchtime or arsenic hour between school pickup and then getting ready for dinner and the nighttime routine, they're areas that I in particular um, find it hard and I rely on coffee or have in the past relied on coffee. Um, We can often have something cold, crunchy, cool showers, walk in the rain, flashing lights, screen time will work for some people, exercise. So these were some of the uh, get going strategies. So if you want to go into that in more detail, go and have a look at episode 28 or have a look in our shop for sensory and emotional regulation. We've got a pack there as well as training options as well to go into this in more detail. So last week, if you haven't listened to last week's one, go back and do that. I'm not going to repeat the whole spiel at the beginning on understanding emotions and the importance of this as well as understanding our sensory profiles. I will go over it a little bit but not in the same amount of detail because I will bore you to tears if you happen to listen to both. So we we teach kids understanding emotions so that they can learn to label how they are feeling. This empowers them to better communicate how they are feeling It then also sets them up for success in relationships. So learning how other people are feeling, particularly when they say or do or behave in a certain way, it impacts people around us. So learning, learning about that and, you know, understanding those facial expressions, the body language, the social cues, which so often comes like it's very difficult for kids with autism. It takes a lot of intentional teaching and explicit teaching to understand emotions um, and to understand themselves as well. So when we understand emotions, we can understand how we feel, particularly um, when certain triggers come up throughout the day. So this is where emotional and sensory regulation come in. There will be sensory inputs that set us off during the day and or our kids. Uh, What sets me off may not be what sets you off, but when you understand your own sensory profile, you have better understanding and empathy for what someone else may be experiencing. 
And, you know, the way you react may be very different from one stimuli. So say nails on a chalkboard is a very typical one where most people will have a physical reaction. Now, you may not then have a full meltdown over that, but someone else may not have that level of understanding, self-control, that ability to regulate their emotions that you do, and it may result in a meltdown. So I guess my point is to, to spend that time teaching emotions, valuing why we teach emotions, spend that time learning about your own uh, sensory profile, so where your triggers are, um, and then being aware of days where you are going to be more triggered than others, so high stress days, so that you can put more things in place that keep you calm and regulated. Uh, once you do this and understand this and understand how that impacts you and your life, you can better do that for your kids, uh, whether it's your kids, kids in your classroom, kids in therapy, kids in your care, yeah? And understand that specific tools and strategies when look, it will take trial and error, to get it right as well. Some things that keep you calm will set someone else off. But once you find things that work, then you can put them in place and reduce those big explosive behaviors, those big emotions that often happen towards the end of the day. Yeah. So that is why we keep banging on about sensory and emotional regulation. So today I want to spend a bit more time on the actual tools and strategies, the practical stuff that we can use both for ourselves and kids in our care to help keep calm and regulated. Now we always want to keep in mind um, with our kids that yes, they will need us to help them keep calm and regulated, especially when they're younger, but we want to empower and our and equip our kids to learn to self-regulate. Now, this can be a very long and drawn-out process um, and can take years, depending on the kid. Now, these tools and strategies will work on neurotypical people as well, um, but particularly being aware of them for people with autism and people with autism or sensory processing disorder or anxiety as well may need or will need more of these things throughout their day to keep them calm and regulated. Yeah. So if you're watching on YouTube, there we go. They're the tools and strategies that we've got to keep calm. So we've got our weighted blankets uh, weighted vests, weighted toys. For my boy, when he was little, we had pressure clothing. Um, so that's that deep proprioception. I've done a podcast on that. Can't remember which one, but if you want to learn more about that, go and listen to that one. Nature walk. This works really well for me. So when I am feeling overwhelmed, um, just getting outside with the birds and the crickets and the trees um, makes me happy and helps me to de-stress and regulate. Hugging a pet, both my kids, as soon as they get home, they'll each go to their rooms. There'll generally be a cat on each bed and they will have their downtime with the pet. Uh, warm comfort foods are another big one. Swinging or spinning, so often that's stimming behavior. Warm drinks, calm music, soft foods. So we'll often have nights where you sit back and I've talked about my friends, um, talked about this with my friends as well. You sit back and you look at your food and it's all just, brown and squishy, like nuggets and chips are like a staple um, autism diet, yeah, and in many households. And if you actually look at why, they're all just a neutral color, they are soft in texture, 
they are the same every time. So there's no surprises like with fruit where, you know, if it's in season, it tastes a certain way. It's a bit more um, softer than when it's not in season or not ripe. So with a banana, there's a million surprises in a banana. Yes, there is no consistency with bananas. You look at chips and nuggets, they are consistent. You know what you're going to get every time and there's comfort in that. Um, yeah. So a big one in our house is making sure the kids are fed straight after school or in that in that after school to five o'clock period. And if they are well fed, they are so much better from five o'clock onwards um, and it reduces a ton of those behaviors. And yes, for us, that often looks like my oldest with wheat bix right before dinner. So you're in the kitchen cooking. I don't want to be in the kitchen cooking, but you do what you have to do. And it's they're eating right before dinner. But that is something that I've spent years and years and years getting him to self-regulate that I'm not going to take away now just because I want him to eat the dinner that I've cooked. Does that make sense? So picking your battles in all of this as well and finding that compromise between keeping yourself regulated, keeping your kids regulated, keeping your family values, what's important to you. Yeah. All right, hot showers. Hot showers are a big one in our house, um, often used to get going as well as to calm down. Hiding in a dark place, so having a little cubby hole to just time out in, rest in, just de decompress, I suppose. So you're limiting the visual, limiting the noise. Uh, noise cancelling headphones are not on this list. Pulling weeds is another one, surprisingly. I find weeding, I mean, it's a bit annoying when I have to do it, but when I do it on my terms, sitting there weeding is just calming. Something about the smell of the soil as well. It releases endorphins or something. Um, coloring, so doing those, like those mindfulness coloring in activities can be very calming too. Spinning toys, so that goes with your stimming. Hugging a teddy, watching a favorite movie. So often in our house, we'll watch the same movie over and over. Again, no surprises, um, just comfort. We know what's going to happen. You don't need to use your brain cells. You don't need to think and plot and preempt what's coming. It's probably more my problem than the kids. Um, but yeah, there's comfort in that, yeah? And it's a at the end of a long day, just sitting and watching a movie that you've already watched a million times and it makes you happy. That could be someone else's worst nightmare, which again, my point for a lot of these things, what works for you may not work for the next person or your kid. And again, in your family, finding what works for most of you and look even times it hasn't been what works for most of you it's what works for the person that's the loudest that no one else can be calm until they're calm and that's just a part of autism and living with it I guess but finding that compromise and finding things that work for all of you and yes this is hard but hopefully some of these tools and strategies are things that you haven't thought about that you could implement in your day or throughout your day to help both you and your kids. Um, sensory bottles or toys, sit-ups, push-ups, squats, so exercise. Um, that is something that I do rely on daily or every couple of days. Um, heavy lifting and weights and uh, I'm not such a huge fan of cardio, but I do it to look after myself and it just keeps me 
up to speed with everything else going on. Um, soft lights is another one as well. So hopefully these things are, you know, most of them, they're going to be things that you have around the house anyway. Getting weighted stuff is definitely a good investment. If you don't have weighted blankets, also be careful with the age and the weight ratios. Um, so not using them with under four-year-olds, just double check the standards there. Um, but if you don't have the weighted blankets and weighted toys, giving your kids something to do that involves heavy weight. So getting them to carry the washing, carry something heavy from one room to the next. Um, my kids' school teachers used to use this where they'd get my kid to carry library books to the library. So it was strategically done to give him a sensory break with something heavy. And it was done before escalating to prevent that meltdown, that the big behaviors later in the day. Yeah. And I'll wind up this episode with just some tips, I suppose, for managing those big behaviors and some things to do. And I guess more importantly, not to do when we've already hit the point of escalation and meltdown. So overall, it's generally too late for strategies. So we really want to try and get these strategies in place to reduce the meltdowns. Now, that is not always going to work. Or you can put all the strategies in, do the day perfectly, and then one thing triggers and it's a meltdown. And look, that was going to happen anyway. So um, I don't think any of these tools and strategies that I cover in any of these episodes is ever going to fix you know, the behaviors we see with autism, it, it just doesn't work this way. But it, my hope is, is that it helps you put things in place to better cope and manage with what you've got. Yeah. So um, I wanted to point out if you have reached that meltdown stage, so going back a bit, and I did cover this in the last episode. So meltdowns can be those big explosive ones. So the screaming, the yelling, the crying, the gagging, the hitting, punching, so big explosive. Everyone knows that person is not coping well. But we can also have the silent meltdowns. So this is where the deadpan face, the tin soldier, nothing's going in, nothing is coming out. Um, and often these kids are just seen as shy and they're kind of left to the side and they often don't get the same help that someone screaming and crying will get. Does that make sense? So I'd really encourage you to look out for this as well. I don't remember at which point I realized this was a meltdown too. Um, so I've got one kid that's explosive, one kid that will tend to shut down. It doesn't mean that that's always what they do. So um, sometimes my explosive one will have a shutdown meltdown. And sometimes my shut, the one that mostly has shut down meltdowns will sometimes have an explosive one. So it, yeah, but just something to look out for. And, you know, if you do see them shutting down and not coping, they need help too to self-regulate just as the person would that's having an explosive meltdown. So for that explosive meltdown, um, limiting what you're saying, be really I guess, intentional as well about um, how you communicate with them. So say you know that headphones work well when someone has hit their limits, they're having a meltdown, you're not going to sneak up behind the person and chuck some headphones on them. Yeah, you're going to do it in front of them. Um, I would be careful with someone having a meltdown touching them 
it may not end well for you. They may lash out if you are okay or if they're okay for you to touch them. Not a light touch. I would encourage a like a, a decent touch so you're not coming up and scaring them. Light touches can be really irritating. Um, and look, that's not a given rule for everyone. But talking through what you're doing, can I put headphones on you? And also not expecting a response. So there's often, once you've hit the meltdown stage, there's not a lot going in or out. That person is not coping. They are not able to process what you are saying as a general rule. It is definitely not the time to talk about behaviors. It is not the time to reason. Your goal with someone having a meltdown is to get them to a point where they're self-regulated. That should be your only goal. There's, there's no point having any other goals at this stage. So we want to, if we can, remove them from whatever has set them off, whether that's a busy environment. Uh, we want to make sure they are safe, you are safe, and people around them are safe. Now, depending on who it is, how big they are, your relationship with them, um, it may or may not be possible to remove them from the situation. Um, if you can find a cubby kind of closed in dark area or limit the lighting, so turning the lights down, turning the sound down. So these are all sensory inputs that we can, in most cases, control at least to some level to help this person de-escalate. Now, meltdowns don't always end in someone then coming back to calm. They'll often end in exhaustion and falling asleep. And I would also encourage you, so all of these things that I've just mentioned, that are probably a bit more obvious for someone that's having a big loud meltdown. I would do the same for someone having a silent meltdown. So just because they're quiet doesn't mean that they can still communicate with you. Um, so to, yeah, to remove them from the situation, remove as much as you can and as much as you can control the noise, the sound, um, whatever has set them off, help them to de-escalate. We're always trying to, depending on the person's age and ability, teach them to self-regulate. Probably not a great teaching moment during the meltdown, but to talk through quietly um, what you are doing, whether it's the headphones or let's find somewhere quieter to sit. Your voice as well is a great tool for either helping someone calm down or adding to their sensory overload. So meltdown happens when we're emotionally overloaded or sensory overloaded. Now your voice, as much as it's probably, I don't know whether it's instinct, but if you watch other people, they'll tend to, maybe it's stress. I would say it's probably stress. So when we're stressed and we're taking on board the screaming and how someone else is behaving, we can then very easily, if we don't stop and think and breathe and you know, if we're not well regulated as well, we can join their level. Yeah. So I would encourage you if someone, and if you're dealing with this day in, day out, you're going to manage it at 
sometimes better than others, um, but to try and keep your voice slow and controlled. So notice if you begin to go up a few octaves, if you begin to talk a bit faster, if you're trying to reason with the person and trying to prove your point, these things are not going to help. So to be calm, collected as much as possible, and again, this will help if you've got things throughout your day to help manage your emotional regulation. And then at the end of the day, so this can often look like, I've timed it with um, my kids before, up to nine hours later. So they are not ready to talk about what happened. Um, often during those big meltdowns, they shut out and stop processing anyway. They often have no memory of that. Um, so talking about behaviors that happened then are not going to be productive at all. There's often a lot of shame and embarrassment around that. That really sucks to watch with your kids, but something to be aware of. So, you know, if if you feel that's something you need to talk about, behaviors that happen, be aware that they not may not remember that and going over that may cause more damage than good. I would encourage you to focus on um yeah, those tools and strategies throughout the day, but talking through why you do them. So keeping in mind to teach your kids and enable and empower them to implement these strategies themselves um, so that when they're adults, when they move out of home, they have got things that they know work for them and they do it strategically to stay calm. I think every single human being on the planet would be better off if they knew how to do this. So learning how to do this for your kids, but also teaching them to be able to do it for themselves. I'm going to stop talking now. Pretty sure I've made my point and I will talk to you next week. See ya.